Hey there, little birdie. What the hell are you doing out there? I'm Lisette de Jesus. And I'm Maria Gomez. And, and welcome, welcome to our, our podcast. podcast. Have your cup of coffee ready. Or a glass of wine. And listen in while we challenge each other to grow. Move forward. And figure out what the hell we're doing out here. Hey there, little birdie. Hey there, little birdie. I'm Maria Perez Gomez. And I'm Lisette Jesus. And welcome to our podcast. This is it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's talk about what the hell we're doing out here. Let's do it. Because, girl, I am tired of all these takes. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This is the final one. This, this is, is the it. winner. Clink. Salud. Okay. Salud. <laughs> so, Lisette, let me start by telling them the story about the name. Hey there, little birdie. Mm-hmm. I had this wonderful friend who I love dearly. Her name is Connie Finney. She had this great, wonderful ability to tell stories. And she told me the story about her niece one time looking out the back window in Binghamton. That's her hometown. And she saw this bird on the back porch. And she looked at it and she said, Hey there, little birdie. What the hell are you doing out there? For the longest time, I thought that was one of the most amusing stories. This is less than a five-year-old, so I would just picture this tiny little person saying this. And I would always share this story with people. I shared it with Lisette, who was probably as amused as I was about it. And from that moment on, we started kind of talking to each other in those terms of, hey there, little birdie, through text, and asking each other what the hell we're doing out here. (laughs) Then Lisette actually had this idea of doing a podcast Because we would always have these great conversations before watching Super Soul Sunday and after after watching it as well. We would have these wonderful conversations. So this podcast is actually a part of the Lunavation series, which is tied to my organization called Luna. Um, It's still in its infancy state, Mm -hmm. um, but... So far, we've completed one uh, women's mental health and wellness symposium and... Basically, where the idea came from, my business partner and friend, Robert Carson, um, created Luna with me over the course of a year. And through that year, we had numerous conversations and we got very close over this project, this organization, and what I wanted to have longevity. Mm -hmm. Um, And it required a lot of vulnerability, a lot of honesty. And the reason why is because I wanted to coin Luna as a term that means a trait often perceived as a flaw, but now is used as a means of empowerment and self-identity. So through that, it really originated as a women's movement, but honestly, I see that it's a people's movement. Mm -hmm. And I see that a year later after completing all of the stuff and six months later after completing the actual symposium and now putting up more projects that I feel good about, it's more of what I needed. And what does Luna actually mean to you in terms of, if we go by the definition that you just spoke of, what would Luna be if you were to apply it personally? So I often had a little bit of trouble trying to figure out what my Luna was, right? Mm -hmm. I was constantly asking everyone, well, what do you think your Luna is based off of my definition? And I would hear everybody, some of the, some people's are, uh, their ethnicity, 
um, their religion. And I think mine was self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Where I found that nothing that I did was good enough for me. Mm-hmm. And I really found myself saying that nothing that I had done was good enough. Even post-completing the symposium, which I did alone with my partner, Robert, you know, it just wasn't enough. And I thought about why wasn't enough? Why did I go home feeling that me creating a panelist of kick-ass women, Mm -hmm. um, creating gift baskets for everyone to go home, creating a five-hour day plan, and you know, figuring out to make this experience the most meaningful experience that I could, why was that still not enough for me when I went home? So I started, you know, recently to think about where all of that comes from. And I think it's me being the naysayer before anybody else could be. Mm-hmm. And I think... Uh, so self-protection, is that what you're doing? You're preserving... I think so. And I think fear has such a seat at the table for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't want it to be anymore. Um, You know, he just pulls up a chair and comes and eats my food. It was like you reject yourself before somebody else rejects you. Yeah. And I I think I know why. I think it's because I've always had to be in my own corner. Because I am an artist, there are a lot of things that I've done in the arts where, you know, I was a theater major... Um, in high school, I'm a theater major now. Um, I've done a little bit of painting, um, and I've done modeling. And as we've talked about it before, is that I've always received such a overwhelming response from things that include my vanity. Meaning your physical beauty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've always been met with a lot of um, approval for that, so then physical beauty becomes your crutch to receiving confidence? Yeah. Yeah. I have anxiety getting dressed to go out on weekends. And I know it's something that um, we see other people having. But uh, I experience that a lot. Because I feel like I'm supposed to fit in with the mix. I'm supposed to fit in with the other 21-year-olds. I'm supposed to um, be feeling very sexually rip, uh, very sexually liberated and um, body positive and being able to show off my curves and things like that. So I get really anxious when I want to stay within the comforts of dressing like a grandma, mm-hmm. <laughs> but still wanting to feel like nice and young at a club. Mm-hmm. So I think my vanity has caused a lot of anxiety for me because I, or uncomfortableness, because I feel like I have a reputation to keep and it hasn't fostered my inner beauty. So it's a little scary. And I think that all the other art that I've done that has offered a sense of healing for me, like theater, like painting, um nobody really pays attention to that and uh it gets a little funky in the middle so I in what way does it get funky sometimes it makes me not want to care as much as I do 
Because if I am caring about what everybody else cares about, then I get the attention that I think I need. You know, and I can be totally honest with that. I think a lot of people uh, can understand that the reason why we have social media is because we want to connect. Then that all that idea connects right. to we want attention. And everybody wants to feel good and they want to feel good now. Yeah. Instant gratification. Exactly. And I think uh, my Instagram is all right. You know, I'm not popping, popping. But I think for a while I really wanted it to be. I wanted to be a brand ambassador. I wanted to become a makeup artist and do makeup videos, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to do all of these things that... Uh, would give me a lot of instant gratification. Yeah, and a certain status. Yeah, and uh, something that would rely on something that I know that was always going to be there, which is vanity. But now that I am brought back down to earth... <laughs> and what did that for you? I think I had a shift in creating more meaningful relationships. Hmm. And I think my relationship with you, I think my relationship with my boyfriend, um, I think my friendships, I kind of just had a shift of when I made my life mine. What was meaningful to you? Yeah, and uh, which is funny, I looked at a painting that I made today. I mean, I didn't make it today, I saw it today. And on the back of the painting, it said, if no one told you your mm -hmm. freedom is more important than their anger. And on the front, it said, no may make them angry, but it will set you free. Mm. And I remember, I think from being maybe 14 till maybe I think I was around 18, 19, um, my life really centered around the approval of men, mm. point blank period. And I think it was definitely learned behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, and... I think I remember reading a lot of my past journal entries and seeing myself being so honest with myself, saying, I don't feel good about myself. I'm unhappy where I'm at in my life. Um, why don't I feel good? And then ending the journal note with, but I should feel good because a man loves me. And I think at that moment, I just wanted to hug little Lisette. Mm -hmm. I wanted to hug 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 year old Lisette and tell her that your feelings are valid. A man doesn't make you or define you or uh, determine whether you're good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think... For a long time, I spent my life saying sorry. And uh, when I made that painting no about saying no and the freedom from it, I still preceded my past relationship with another relationship where I said yes a lot. So um, we had talked about this recently where I felt like even in my relationships, um, I didn't have the space to say no uh, mentally, physically, and emotionally. I felt like had I said no, I would lose the person that I was with. Was it that you didn't have the space to say no? Or 
did you lack the ability? I think I lacked. No. I think I lacked the ability. Sometimes I also lacked the space, but those were in like. I think in my fourteen-year-old relationship, fifteen-year-old mm-hmm. relationship, I lacked the space to say no. But um, once I became kind of an adult, I felt like I didn't have the ability to say no. I couldn't say no for myself mm-hmm. because I thought I would lose the person that I was with. And um, and that's where you found your security. Yeah. Like you said, you found your security in being in a relationship. And I didn't want to lose that. That was too much of a price to uh, to pay. Mm-hmm. So I think during this time of my life, this is the first time that I'm really making so many decisions for myself. Which is a fun thing. It makes me actually emotional mm. to be saying yes to myself. Mm-hmm. Doing that, the things that you love. Yeah. That mm. I don't have to worry about that the goodness of my being is going to intrude on anyone else. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is such a special feeling. And I don't think I, I don't think I go back thinking about that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. That's right. Or maybe an extra pour of wine. You know, same thing. Let's go with the wine. Let's go with the wine. Clink. Salute. Salute. <laughs> mm. And now the tables have turned. I think that the greatest gift we give to each other is this, is the gift of our stories. And when we share the, our stories, we have to come from a place of of vulnerability encourage because our stories aren't always pretty and um, I think the hope lies in realizing that as challenging as the story may be as difficult as the story may be that you can always pick yourself up I went through a very dark time in my life after my father passed away in 2006 I believe it was and I never expected grief to show up the way it did in my life to the point of experiencing such deep sorrow that it led to a very, very, very dark time of um, anxiety and depression for many years. And it actually manifested itself in such a way where I was unable to work for a few years and felt like I couldn't even function the way I always had up until that point. I had always been very strong. I had always been considered a leader. I was a leader in my church. I was a uh, manager in housing. I had confidence when it came to to singing and sang in various community events and um, sang with my family in various events as well in the community. And did not lack when it came to confidence. However, when my father passed away, I hit rock bottom. And coming back from that, it was not easy. And I was actually told many times, actually by professionals, that I wouldn't come back from that. That it was going to be, in their opinion, virtually impossible for me to kind of pick up the pieces and just kind of put it all back together again. And thank God for the steadfast love of my family. I was able to do it. And a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. It was not easy, but it was worth it. I um, 
I was willing to do whatever I had to do to make it work. I saw every alternative and traditional physician that I could possibly see. And um, I did whatever I had to do. What to kind just... of what kind of different kinds of alternatives did you do? I I experienced acupuncture, aromatherapy, Reiki. I actually got trained in Reiki. I got trained in healing touch. I like I said, I went to the acupuncture. I went to chiropractic care. Um, I actually took alternative. Um, remedies and when it when it came to the more traditional sense I actually um, went to different physicians as well I took um, more western approaches in terms of medications and a lot of that didn't seem to work for me and looking back now I, I think that a lot of it was because I was trying to heal something at least in this moment I'm not saying there's a time and place for medication I was trying to heal something with medicine that really needed me to, um, I needed to pay attention to it. I was coming from a very broken place and I needed to just kind of stare that brokenness in the face. Um, I had experienced loss at a very young age. I lost my brother and I think that when I lost my father, it kind of magnified the whole experience of loss for me and it, it really it really gave me a run for my money. It it, it, <laughs> it really made me have to um, look at life and my understanding of life, my understanding of faith, my understanding of spirituality. I had to kind of reorganize it and experience a huge paradigm shift. And uh, But I was able to do it. I was able to do it. And I like to tell people, if I was able to do it, you can do it too. You can do it too. It's not impossible, but it's hard work. It's not easy, and it's very intentional work. It it really requires you to be committed to healing and experiencing the, those very, very dark, painful emotions in order to welcome um, the joy again. Mm-hmm. And I can say now... After I think it's been at least let me see four years since then that I I went back to work and um, have experienced great joy in my life through theater through Raices through our theater company that were both ensemble members mm-hmm. and um, and and slowly but surely I'm starting to come from a place of greater confidence when it comes to sharing. Um, certain experiences but obviously life will present itself with more challenges life is always great about doing that um but at least and when i listen to you and i and i think about what has been my luna in the past few years it has to be that struggle that i went through that very dark place that i went through it and just coming out of it Mm-hmm. coming out of it and being able to share it with others and help others that are in that place and and hopefully offer them some solace through my love and through my experience and let them know that they can do it. If you're willing to work, if you're willing to put the work in, you're going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. But you got to work. It's not easy. 
So I just want to ask you really quick. Um, being a performer can create a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, as does a lot of things that require bravery, courage, vulnerability. Um, and it seems like most of the time the price is very high. Do you believe that the reward is also very high when you perform or if you have different outlets that uh, require your bravery but give you back something? Absolutely. I think that what I have found most rewarding in sharing my story on stage um, and specifically referring to this El Puente I think what I have found most rewarding is to have somebody come up to me and say, I went through that. Mm. I saw myself in that character. And to to listen to that and then listen to the hope that follows, that they feel empowered through a story that we told, it makes it all worth it. It makes all the angst worth it, all the insecurities. It makes it all worth it. If you can somehow just touch one person's life. And I think... I think that's how it is at not just in performing in any job that we're engaged in. If somehow you feel like you can affect one person's life in a positive way, then it makes it worth it. It makes it all worth it. If what I went through in my life, that very dark time, is able to help one person, and I'm thinking of one person very specifically, and she knows who she is. If I can help one person because of my experience and it was worth it. Mm -hmm. it it gives it meaning it gives it value mm -hmm. and I think that's why this podcast is so timely for both of us it'd be timely at any point mm -hmm. but um, we finally said yes to this moment to growing moving forward and also most importantly we want to move forward with other people absolutely so we would like to invite all of our listeners to maybe email us at our email, heytherelittlebirdiequestions at gmail.com, and tell us about what your Luna is. Remember, Lisette shared earlier what the definition of Luna in this case is, and it's a trait often perceived as a flaw, but now is used as a means of empowerment and self-identity. And just so that everybody knows, the spectrum of that is absolutely infinite. There is no wrong answer. There's no right answer. There's just an answer. As Maria has said before, uh, you are beautiful. You are worthy. And it's just because of that. It's just that. Just because you are. Just because you are. So I hope that this podcast has made you feel warm and fuzzy inside, girl. Exactly, and realize that we are all on a journey. And by sharing our journeys, we find strength in each other. Mm. And once again, I just want to reiterate that our email is heytherelittlebirdiequestions at gmail.com. So that's questions with an S. <laughs> yes. And uh, tune in next week when we talk about what, what the hell, hell we're doing, doing out here. here. <laughs> See you later. Bye-bye. If you'd like to sponsor our podcast, Hey There Little Birdie, 
please email us at heythelittlebirdiequestions at gmail.com.